Welcome to Corpus Christi Anglican Church. I'm Morgan, our planting clergy. Our vision of this church is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. This podcast is where you will hear our sermons and other teachings that have happened at Corpus Christi. We primarily serve the region of Springfield, Franconia, and Kingstown. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for taking time to listen. Here's the message. Well, good morning. Good morning. It is great to see you all this morning and some new faces. Uh, Delighted to have you here worshiping with us this morning. I'm Father Morgan Reed. I'm the vicar here at Corpus Christi Anglican Church. If you are not used to uh, Anglican lingo, that just means I'm the priest in charge and uh, we're still a church plant. And uh, (laughs) so as I begin uh, our time this morning, uh, as we enter Romans 8, let me pray for us as we begin. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, we pray again this collect. Let your merciful ears be open to the prayers of your humble servants, and that we may receive what we ask. Teach us by your Holy Spirit to ask those things uh, that are pleasing to you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who with you in the same spirit lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Well, we've been in a series in the book of Romans over the summer, which is what our lectionary has. And last week we spent some time in Romans chapter 7, where St. Paul has given this account of himself as a Jew under the law before uh, coming to Christ. And then, you know, he gets to that phrase, who's going to free me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so we get into Romans chapter eight, where he's talking about life in the Holy Spirit, life in the freedom of Christ and the joy that's there. And, and the prayer from the collect today was really fitting that specifically that line about teach us by your Holy Spirit to ask only those things that are pleasing to you. Uh, it, it's not so black or white, like I'm only asking those things that are pleasing to God or I'm not. What it indicates is that there is work to do in training ourselves to ask things that the Holy Spirit would want us to ask. Um, we're, we are taught this over time. There's training. Uh, and that training that you kind of hear in that collect uh, shows up here in our passage today in Romans chapter 8. It made me think a little bit when I think of training. Um, how many of you, since we have the kids in the room, if, if you ride a pedal bike, how many of you have, uh, have you know, made it from training wheels or a balance bike to getting to the pedal bike? Adults, you can raise your hand too. That's okay. <laughs> Great. <laughs> There's a lot of you in here that have made that transition in life. Uh, and, and do you, any of you older kids who have made that transition to your pedal bike want to tell us a little bit about it? Any of you want to be brave and share what that was like? No? Well, I can tell you my story. (laughs) When I, I didn't actually write this out, so. uh, When I first transitioned to a pedal bike, I remember we had these big bushes out front, and I started flying down that driveway. And one of my first times riding it, I got the concept of pedaling. I didn't get the concept of braking. <laughs> so I would imagine that some of you might be in this boat too. And I took a turn and I flew into those bushes and I hit my handlebars so hard I had to go to the ER and I bruised my intestines. So, but I'm okay now. It's been a few years. So, um, but you know, the, there's, but the good thing is when I finally got it down, 
there was a whole bunch of freedom available to me in riding around. I remember having 4th of July races around, around the loop. Uh, there's a lot of, of freedom in a pedal bike. And we are kind of in this journey and this stage in our household uh, at the moment where we are transitioning from balance bike to pedal bike. Uh, not me or Ashley, our son. Uh, and so for him, you know, watching, watching him fly on his balance bike was a, an accomplishment in and of itself. He cruises. We've now gotten to the point where I can't see where he is, and we have a special signal about, uh, you know, I yell, and then he yells back so I know he's okay uh, because he can really fly on that thing. But for whatever reason, whoever decided to design pedal or the balance bikes designed them without brakes. Like, none of them have brakes, which is terrifying, because as a three-year-old, you can do a lot, and uh, you should be able to brake on those things. Um, but there's this real sense of freedom and pleasure that I love seeing in his face as he gets on that balance bike and he goes off to explore the world. Um, imagine, if you will, the introduction from that to a pedal bike. And, and it's going to be a difficult, it's going to be a frustrating experience to have to coordinate steering and pedaling and balancing and then braking. Like that's four completely different skills that you're having to learn how to coordinate. Uh, and, and so that makes sense that it would be frustrating. Coordinating all those things is a new thing. And, and so, you know, he can do any one of those things, but putting them all together is really hard. And so you can imagine a three-year-old who's trying to learn this might say, you know what? I give up. I can't do it. I am not good at this. And that is objectively true at the moment, but that doesn't mean that you can't get good at it, right? And so now there's a life lesson being learned about practice and pushing through a fear of failure that that child hasn't had to learn in a big way before. Um, and, and I actually wonder as a parent if watching that and helping with that is probably a lesson for me about pushing through fear of failure and pushing through things that I don't think that I can do. And, um, and I'm looking forward to the day where he figures this out, where he learns how to do the pedal bike. Uh, family bike rides will be delightful in that day. And he's going to take off. He's going to go so fast that I cannot catch up with him without a bike. Um, he's going to realize the things that his body can do and discover new pleasures that he hasn't known yet because he can do this new skill. He's going to have more to explore, a huge sense of accomplishment. And so that big grin on his face comes from the fact that he's experiencing new joys. Um, and he'll have breaks. And so that opens up a whole new world of possibilities, like riding down a steep hill. You can take it at your own pace. Uh, and But riding down a hill is really fun. And he can't really do that right now. He has to go slow. So there will also be mistakes made in, in this newfound freedom. There will be new scraped knees. There will be bigger lacerations. Uh, there will be collisions, etc. And one just prays that those are not too big that he can't just get back up on the bike or we're not so far away that I can't carry him home. Um, but whether you think of the development of a child, you think of walking, uh, running, riding a scooter, a bike, talking, potty training, reading, Whatever developmental milestone it is in a child, there is this gift of watching that child develop, learn a new skill, discover the new things that they can do that they couldn't do before. 
And, and so learning to ride a bike takes practice. And as we get better at it, there are new opportunities that open up for us, new experiences, new um, worlds of pleasure that we will delight in. And new opportunities also present new challenges as we navigate new roads, as we navigate harder roads, bad weather, uh, other challenges along the path and all of it, all the aspects of that, the pleasure of it, the pain of it, those are all part of growth. And, and it isn't a perfect analogy, but when I think about that experience of the pleasure and the pain in the new worlds that we experience all being part of our growth, there is a beautiful parallel to us in Romans chapter 8. In Christ, we have been given freedom from sin's authority. I've said it two weeks in a row now. Sin might be present, but it no longer rules over us in Christ. And, and we've been brought into this new life in the realm of the Holy Spirit. That's what this chapter is all about. The Holy Spirit is God himself who indwells us, who pours out God's love into our hearts, who in this passage it says he reminds us that we are adopted as children of God and we are beloved. So life in the spirit, though, is not without its challenges. And it, it, but it is the good soil that we heard about in the gospel reading today. Suffering and delight all have a rightful place now. Uh, they all have a usefulness in our growing towards the love of God. And that's what the end of this is. Life in the Holy Spirit is growing in union with God, growing uh, in union with Christ uh, towards the love of God. And so in this new life in the Spirit, we have assurance of God's presence. So this is a comforting passage. This is one of those passages you turn to when you've had a hard day. We have the assurance of God's presence in the midst of our suffering, cleansing every part of us uh, from sin's power. Again, sin has no rightful claim over us, but there are still places where sin might be present. And we have this continued assurance that the spirit is cleansing those parts of us that might have sin's presence. And so this passage serves as an encouragement uh, to those who are free, but may not feel like it. Those who have been brought into the new realm of the spirit and wonder why things might still feel really heavy and really burdensome. And the encouragement here in this passage is that the Holy Spirit empowers us to think and do what pleases God. If you ever wondered, like, am I in the will of God? If you have the Holy Spirit, you can grow into what pleases God. Um, the things that please you can become the things that please God. And it sounds really simple, right, to say that, um, to say, think and do what pleases God by the Holy Spirit. But it's not simple. Um, finding what pleases God in a broken world, in the monotony and the repetition of making it through the day, despite all the deepest anxieties and insecurities that we have, that's not easy. And life isn't simple, as you all well know. And so what is precisely um, that's precisely the reason why we need a simple encouragement. Life isn't simple. We can hang on to this, ruminate on it, chew on it, think about it in the midst of the complications that we're experiencing. Live with the Spirit and please God. Live with the Spirit and please God. It's something to grow into. Say it another way, delight in what delights God. Um, finding pleasure in what pleases God is not an instantaneous thing. It, it takes skill. Uh, it takes development. It takes practice. And if you feel like, 
I'll never get it. When will I finally arrive? I can't do this. I give up. Don't give up. This passage is an encouragement that life in the spirit, learning to delight in what delights God is something that we practice daily with the Holy Spirit as people who are inhabited by the Holy Spirit. St. Paul starts in verse seven in our passage today with this description of the mind that's set on the flesh. And the flesh isn't just the physical world around us. It's not just our physical bodies. Flesh is always a negative term for St. Paul. And it's a shorthand way of referring to the ways that created things or people share the mortality, the corruption, and the rebellion of the world. So there's a negative aspect to the word flesh. God created the world good, right? When, when we read Genesis, it says, he, he's looked at it and said, it is good. So I like to think of flesh here as a way of referring to the wrong the improper and the insufficient use of creation because we were created good. The world was created good, but there is a way that creation can be used insufficiently, incorrectly, um, improperly. And so, you know, that can refer to institutional systems that produce injustice. It can refer to the ways that our bodies don't allow us to become all that God has made us to be. It can refer to the ways that we, we don't care for God's created order at whatever level that might be. And, and so we are no longer in the flesh, in that space that inhabits what is in rebellion against God. As St. Paul reminds us in verse 9 in this passage, we are in the spirit. Because the spirit of God dwells in us. And later on, he's going to tell believers that uh, to continue putting on, uh, putting to death, sorry, the deeds of the flesh, continue putting to death the deeds of the flesh. And so it seems that here um, there is this idea that while we are free in the spirit, there's this continual work of realigning the things that we love, like positionally. It is true that we are in the spirit, and yet there is this continual working at realigning the things that we love, putting to death the things that we discover that don't line up with the desire, the will of God. And so, again, remember today's collect where it says, teach us by your Holy Spirit to ask those things only that are pleasing to you. Um, So why are we praying for God to teach us this when we have the freedom to do so? Because it takes time. Um, it takes time to align our affections. It takes work uh, to align our affections with the realities of who we are in Christ in the spirit. Uh, That doesn't mean that we have to worry about waiting until the will of God becomes super clear to us before we ask uh, God how we should act all the time for every minor decision. That would be a really exhausting way to live. I love one one of the church fathers that I was reading about Uh, with this is St. Augustine, St. Augustine of Hippo, not uh, of Canterbury, who in the fourth century, he's got this homily on 1 John chapter four. And he says, a bad person can have the name of Christ and be called a Christian, but to have love and to be a bad person is impossible. Love is the unique gift, the fountain that is yours alone, referring to God, The spirit of God exhorts you to drink from it and in so doing to drink from himself. And then in a little bit later, the more famous quote that many of you have probably heard, he says, once for all, 
I give you this one short command. Love and do what you will. Love and do what you will. Drinking deeply of the life of the Holy Spirit is to know more deeply the love of God and the love and to know what God loves, to love what God does. And so when we think about the will of God and the desire of God, the pleasure of God, these things are all semantically related. I really love what St. Augustine says here with this little pithy command, love and do what you will love and do what you will. There are absolutely times where I need wise counsel, right? Um, Like right now I'm discerning about adding some financial services to our back office support in the church. This was not something I learned in seminary. I am neither a bookkeeper nor the son of a bookkeeper. And it would be foolish for me not to seek counsel from those who know things that I do not, right? So in seeking the will of God for this, there's a a wisdom aspect to asking for help. But uh, each day I make hundreds of little decisions. Um, And if I am growing in the love of the Lord I might just discover the pleasure of God in those seemingly little insignificant choices that I make all day long. And and I might even arrange my day in order to better discover God's love and pleasure in, in things that I wouldn't expect to find them in. Do we create space for meditation? Um, and there's a name for that. There's a theological term for that in the growing of the love of God. It's, this is why you go to seminary so you can say big words. But uh, no, it's, it's the word ascesis or asceticism, which just means training. And, and so you might rightly ask, well, how in the world could I be an ascetic? Like, I can't be a cloistered monk. I have a lot of responsibilities. Uh, and if you have kids, there's no way you can hold to, you know, eight to 12 prayer times a day. Um, and and go sleepless and still function as a uh, a righteous and holy person following the Lord. So what does this mean? Um, and that's a great question. And that question drives us back to why we have the Book of Common Prayer in the first place. If you're not familiar um, with the Anglican tradition, the thing that is behind our keynote presentation is the Book of Common Prayer. If you buy the 2019 Book of Common Prayer, uh, that, that book is a liturgy that has roots um, thousands of years and going back thousands of years. How we arrange the service, how we worship together. Um, and what's neat about the Book of Common Prayer is it was not just meant for clergy. It was not just meant for Sunday worship. It goes beyond that. It makes the household and the workplace both a monastery and a school for the Lord's service where we learn to prefer nothing to the love of Christ, which is a progressive act to keep on learning how to prefer nothing to the love of Christ. And I get that phraseology from um, St. Benedict uh, in his rule. Some people have said the rule of St. Benedict given to the laity is what the book of common prayer is. I like that. And so the book of common prayer and the church's historical ascetical theology would tell you that being here this morning for the Eucharist is a really great place to start. Um, That is the foundation, the backbone for spiritual progress in growing in the love of God, because this is where we worship with the saints and angels around God's throne. We 
to hear a, a phrase that we were talking about this week. It, it's where the table is extended in the Eucharist, where we, we dine in the heavenly banquet with all of the saints who have gone before us. And, and we're feasting with them. It's where we hear from God's word. I mean, hearing Isaiah 55 this morning, that just, you know, like wrecks me. I love Isaiah 55. Take that home and meditate on it. You know, come and buy milk and wine without money. Just the way that God wants to satisfy his people. Um, It's where we hear from God's word. It's where we experience the gospel and worship together. We see it processed out in the midst of us. Um, And and we hear from Jesus. And we, we see Jesus in one another. And so there are all these gospel markers in coming to celebrate the Eucharist together. We need this time with the saints. That is the backbone of spiritual progress. And so the Book of Common Prayer is this whole system of spiritual formation that goes beyond the Sunday service. It gives us time to pray. It gives us time to fast, times to feast. To, it creates daily sanctuaries in time. Not to give us more to-dos, you know, like a daily Bible reading plan might, um, but to give us space, to give us space for reflection, to breathe, um, where our hearts have the opportunity to be realigned with God's heart, the Holy Spirit who indwells us. And so I realized that given the constraints of different schedules, that it can be really rare um, to make full use of the Book of Common Prayer, to do the full morning, midday, evening prayer, and compline each day. That would be roughly 40 minutes, 45, 50, about an hour a day of prayer, um, which some of you can do, and that's wonderful. And I know that that feels really um, exhausting to even think about for some of you in the room. But, you know, are there fixed days where we could remember, you know, on Tuesday I carve out time to make sure I do morning prayer. And and some of the other days I try and do family uh, morning prayer. You know, it's a little bit shorter. Um, One of the things that I've started to do is as my son falls asleep, I just pray compline because he's already asleep. And so that's that's a lovely way to end the day. Um, But making a more intentional schedule of prayer gives us this sanctuary to look forward to visiting each day. And consistency in this Habitual prayer form, it forms what we love. And that means that I might just discover in doing that, I might just discover God's pleasure in what may or may not be delightful on any given day. Because it's, it's bathed in, it's baptized in prayer. Um, and I also like ascesis because it, it means that loving God takes practice. It's not, you know, the question is, what is good prayer? Do I, do I feel something at the end? Right? No, no, no. It takes practice to grow in the love of God. You may not feel it one day. I don't enjoy every meal I have, but I need them, right? Um, and, and so I may be a new creation in Christ, but I'm not always sure what that means when I get into an argument with somebody or when I'm really tired or I'm stressed out or, you know, if my child's crying or I feel hurt by somebody, I don't know what it means to be a new creation in Christ in those moments. But what does it mean to be free in those spaces? What does it mean to delight in what God delights in, in the more challenging spaces? It doesn't mean ignoring pain. It doesn't mean just saying, you know, God's got this. It's going to be fine. I'll just ignore how I feel, right? It doesn't mean that. It does mean being honest. 
with the places where we feel insecure, honest with our fears, the places of sin, the places of unrest and brokenness. And then when we're honest, learning how to ask God where he's at in the midst of those things, um, which is a habit to, to run to God. Uh, and what things does he need to cleanse? But being in the habit of those things. And, and that is what, if you've read the Psalms, which is, again, in our Book of Common Prayer, the two most read things are the Gospels and the Psalms. As you read the Psalms, that's what they're all about. This is where we, um, we're practicing movement towards the love of God takes time and skill and practice. Um, Walter Brueggemann has a nice little commentary where it talks, he, he kind of talks about the Psalms in three movements, orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. And so we, we make those movements in praying the Psalms. So it's only through this ascesis, daily training in the love of God, that I can rightly say, love and do what you will. Love and do what you will. And so uh, this morning, as we think of Romans 8, I just want to come back to that simple encouragement from this passage to, to live with the spirit and please God. Live with the spirit and please God. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you have filled the world with beauty. Open our eyes to behold your gracious hand in all of your works. The rejoicing in your whole creation, we may learn to serve you with gladness. For the sake of him, through whom all things were made, your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.